Oh, my God. 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everyone. My name is Yoni Pollock, filling in for Nachum Siegel this morning. Welcome to a Friday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Oh, <laughs> 
Ah! 
Shabbos came along, his feelings grew so strong, he first began to feel that he belonged. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free, 
changes in his life A brand new family, his children and his wife They learn new things each day To live the Torah away The message of the Shabbos they'll relay Now every Friday night they go down to the wall Invite some people home and they will tell them all We'll teach you this new song To join a sing-along And soon we'll all be free It won't be long Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free Just one Shabbos come and join with me Let's sing and dance to the sky Shir Chadash, Tehillah Lelokeinu 
Bottom of the hour here on JM and AM. My name is Yoni Pollock, filling in for Nachum Siegel this morning. Don't worry, Nachum will be here for the weekly update with Malcolm Honeline at 7.40, so that is regularly scheduled. Uh, well, we came in there with, with uh, Avram Rosenblum and Diaspora's, um, that was Shir Chadash. Before that, we heard Maimi, uh, excuse me, Omar Ben David from Suki and Ding presents Just One Shabbos, the song Just One Shabbos. Leif Tahor is good Shabbos on the Leif Tahor 4 album. We also heard uh, Michal Przanski's Alenu, and we started the show with Avram Fried's Mayadudus, and before that, obviously, Mode Ani by Regish. Good morning, everyone. Again, bottom of the hour here on JM and the AM. Nachum Siegel will be here for the weekly update. He'll conduct it with Malcolm Honline, as usual, 7.40 Eastern Time. Candle lighting this week in the New York area is 7.19. Check your local listings if you... Uh, do not reside in the New York area. Myla Khan comes to studio this coming Tuesday. So be sure to tune in to that. Myla is a uh, up-and-coming musician, well-known for uh, one of his big hits, but he uh, just presented a new album, so we'll hear plenty more from him on Tuesday with Nachum Siegel. We have plenty coming up on, on today's show, but make sure you check out uh, the rest of the programming for this weekend, we have Table for Two coming up right after JM and the AM. We have uh, the Arab Shabbos show at 10 a.m. Arab Shabbos music mix by Kedem, 11 o'clock until Shabbos hits. Saturday Night Seagull at 9 o'clock p.m. Motei Shabbos and headlines at 11 again. Nachum Siegel will be conducting the weekly update with Malcolm Honline at 7.40 a.m. today, so be sure to stick around for that. More coming up. This is JM in the AM.
touch and feel something real, something real. There are angels out tonight. Won't you welcome them inside? Reserve a space in time. Lechonoi dili 
Here on JM and my name is Yoni Pollock, filling in for Nachum Siegel this morning. However, Nachum will be back to conduct the weekly update with Malcolm Honline at 7.40 a.m. Eastern today. Before that, we heard from Shalshelas Jr.'s Vishamru, Anabakoch by Omeka Davar, Derek Achim's Lichadodi, Ari Goldwag's Angels Out, and Yismuchu by Yami Loi. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on our beloved NSN app. 7.19 p.m. is candlelighting tonight in the New York area. Check your local listings for those of you listening outside of New York. I'd like to wish a uh, you know good luck, and, and our prayers are with the communities down in Texas this Shabbos as another hurricane heads their way. Landfall, I think, expected over the course of Shabbos, so we will keep them all in mind and hope to hear from them that they are safe following 
Shabbos. We'll turn it over to Galit Sahal now, Israel's news radio here at JM&AM. כי חשש לטענתו שיחשבו שביצע פיגוע, בהמשך הסגיר עצמו למשטרה. כתבנו אריאל זיגלר מוסר כי ביום ראשון יתייצב לחקירה. בעל אולם אירועים בצפון חשוד שתקף מינית נערה בת 17. הגבר כבן 30 נעצר אתמול ומעצרו הוארך עד ליום שני. המשטרה מבקשת מנפגעות אחרות או מכל הידי הפרטים על מקרים נוספים לדווח לתחנת בית שאן או למוקד מאה. לידיעת הציבור, משרד הבריאות הודיע כי התגלה זיהום במים ברשת האספקה שביהוד מונוסון. על התושבים להרתיח את המים במשך מספר דקות לפני שתייה, בישול וצחצוח שיניים עד להודעה חדשה. מסרה כתבתנו טל זרביב. בתוך כך נאסרה הרחצה בחופי הים שבין חוף דור לקיסריה בשל זיהום חמור שהתגלה בדגימות המים. המועצה האזורית חוף הכרמל מזהירה כי הרחצה אסורה בהחלט וכי נכון לרגע זה עדיין לא אותר מקור הזיהום. המחאה על תשלומי ההורים למוסדות החינוך. פורום ועדי ההורים היישוביים קורא להורים ברחבי הארץ שלא לשלם את התשלומים לגנים ולבתי הספר בשנת הלימודים הקרובה. כתבתנו לענייני חינוך, מיכל צ'ין, שמעה את תגובתו של מנכ״ל משרד החינוך, שמואל אבוהב. תשלומי ההורים לא עלו בשנה שעברה וגם לא יעלו בשנה הקרובה. ואנחנו מאמינים שגם בשנה הבאה יהיו טיולים ותהיינה פעילויות של העשרה. אנחנו קוראים להורים לפתוח יחד עם כולנו שנת לימוד חגיגית ומוצלחת. תחזית מזג האוויר, עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות, עומס חום כבד צפוי ברוב אזורי הארץ. ולסיום, תושבי מיאמי ובואנוס איירס יוכלו ליהנות מתוצרת חקלאית ישראלית כבר מהחורף הקרוב, כתבנו רמי שני. קו תעופה ישיר בין ישראל לפלורידה יאפשר שיווק תוצרת חקלאית טרייה ישירות למדינה זו, משם גם למדינות אחרות ביבשת אמריקה, לאור הסכמי שיתוף פעולה שחתמה חברת אלעל עם חברות בדרום אמריקה. כך ניתן יהיה לייצא פלפלים, עגבניות שרי, תמרים ומוצרים אחרים ישירות לשווקים ולשולחנות האוכל במיאמי, בואנוס איירס וערים אחרות באמריקה. הטיסות צפויות להתחיל כבר בחורף הקרוב. ואלה החדשות שעורכת תום ויינטראובלוק, בצוות נועה שטרן. ועמית פומבס. In any city, I feel home Right from the start to the last beer card of a zone I got that pride in my religion Got my friends and family Got that collar in the oven It's so hot, mmm We keep these same traditions After so many centuries That's the way we choose a rocket on Shabbat It's Friday night, we'll save it from A cup of wine and a pair of barrels Loved ones are here and we're pulling them close Around the table 
היה ועבר, עוד לא קרה שיום חזר, מה שהיה, היה ונגמר, מה שיהיה זה כל מה שנשאר, מה שהיה תם ונשלם, אתה כבר לא הולך לשם, מה שהיה, היה ונסגר, מה שפתוח זה רק
שקלים, במדבור ראיה צופרות רבים, ראיה צופרות רבים, באים ומגדלים, באים ומגדלים, במדבור ראיה צופרות רבים, ראיה צופרות רבים as we are at the bottom of the hour here on JM in the AM. Before that was Shine a Little Light. 
Yom Shabbaton from the Shabbos experience. Edo Secha, that's Yehuda's Edo Secha. Mordechai Shapiro's Machar, his new uh, single. We start at the top of the hour with 613s. That Shabbos feeling, it's Elul now, so we are going to do the uh, Elul shofar blowing daily we do here on JM in the AM. Sixty-two degrees in New York currently. It's going to get to as high as seventy-seven. Shabbos, seventy-seven as well for New York City. A beautiful, beautiful next few days. So make sure to go out and enjoy them. Seven nineteen is candle lighting in the New York City area. Check your local listings for other times. Milach Cohen comes to studio this coming Tuesday. He'll be on JM in the AM. AM. That's Milach Cohen, uh, famous. Up and coming star, if you will, in the industry, Milach, with his uh, one of his big hits via Hafta, which uh, we'll play for you shortly. Coming up just after Jam and the AM is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. Right after that, you'll hear from Mark Zamis with the Arab Shabbos show that starts at 10 a.m., goes to 11 a.m. At 11 a.m., the Kedem Arab Shabbos music mix leading you all the way up to candlelighting. Right after Shabbos, Saturday Night Seagull. With Avrami Finkelstein and headlines at 11 o'clock. JM Sunday with Matis Weingast at its usual time, 7 to 9 a.m. Via Hafta, Mylach Cohen again. He'll be in studio Tuesday, but for now, here's Mylach with Via Hafta on JM in the AM. Jeder einer davent immer beten, war Pharmaschiach, er wird nur kimmen, wenn wir vertrugen sich. Jeder einer davent immer beten, war Pharmaschiach, er will schon kimmen, er wart auf dir in mir.
ומתפללים ומחכים למשיח רק יגיע כשכולנו חברים כולנו מתפללים ומחכים למשיח כבר רוצה להגיע מחכה לך ולי He'll be on JM in the AM with Nachum Siegel this coming Tuesday. And speaking of Nachum Siegel, uh, good morning. Good morning, Yoni. Thank you for being there and uh, taking care of things in the early part of the show. It's much appreciated. I hope that uh, I hope you're confident that those young people who are dancing furiously to all the Milach Cohen songs at every wedding and concert are going to be tuned in on Tuesday morning and watching our Facebook Live on Tuesday morning. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, it might be tough for me to be Facebook living and dancing at the same time. But we'll see how I <laughs> yeah, control this. I don't too. expect you to dance, <laughs> but, but I'd like everybody your age to be tuned in and dancing. So it's going to be an exciting morning, as you know. And uh, Miles Cohen will be there Tuesday. You will be in charge of Facebook Live, so people will be able to see what we're doing, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I thank you very much for being there. We're going to conduct a weekly update and uh, continue with things uh, here. Uh, a few miles away from New York City. I appreciate the fact that you're in our New York City headquarters. It is a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, here at JM in the AM. My name is Nachum Siegel, and thank you all so much for tuning in. And a big thank you, as I just said, to Yoni Pollock, sitting in for the early part and the latter part 
of JMN this morning and monitoring our uh, weekly update conversation to make sure that everything goes as smoothly as possible. want to take this opportunity and wish a very special Mazel Tov. We have a big Simcha coming up Sunday. Cannot wait. Speaking of celebrations, can't wait to celebrate with the Weichner and Zeidman families. Danielle Weichner and uh, Mayor Zeidman, they'll be married this coming Sunday uh, in New York, and um, we're getting ready for the big celebration. I go back with the uh, father of the Kala a very, very long way, as many of you know. <laughs> And we were we were joking. We had we had an exchange this week with some uh, some really old jokes and old references um, to reflect our uh, long relationship. So we look forward to um, celebrating with Elisa and Chaim Weichner and Esther and Dove Zeidman again. Danielle and uh, Mayer are going to be married this coming Sunday. We say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the A. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. You know the uh, you know the routine. If you want to print out thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world before Shabbos, it's a great place to uh, start. JewishWorldReview.com. Just check it out. Go to the web, print out the articles, and enjoy what they have to offer. And we thank them for participating with us in promoting our amazing uh, Nahum Siegel Network on a regular basis. A big thank you to our friends at OnlySimplas.com. OnlySimplas.com. They have uh, jumped all over our recent stories, including our uh, uh, recent conversation with Ambassador Friedman in the airport in Israel at Ben Gurion Airport when his daughter was making Aliyah, part of that whole Nefesh Benefesh adventure that we were on for just a few hours. And OnlySimplas.com featured that, and of course, a whole bunch of other stories recently. Um, that feature our content, and that's much appreciated. OnlySimchas.com is way beyond Simchas. It is also a uh, an amazing opportunity to check out some of the great stories that are happening around the Jewish world, Israel, and otherwise. Make sure to check it out and enjoy their presentation each day through their news feed at OnlySimchas.com. Lots to talk about. We weren't able to do the weekly update last week, so today we will catch up, hopefully. Malcolm Holmler. Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Nice to speak with you. I hope that uh, you were. I, ho- I, I assume that because this was the biggest news story of the week, uh, that you were following it closely. I hope you had an opportunity to participate in the wondrous eclipse this week. After all, it looked like that was the most important news item according to our news media sources. At least it was the least controversial. <laughs> Nobody seemed to make partisan yet. But I actually saw it from the right from the White House. I happened to be there and walked out, and there were all these people in the glasses, and they offered it to me, and I actually got to see it. So it added to the historic significance of it. Yeah, well, that's very cool and certainly very significant. And I assume you noticed that uh, some of the members of the media criticized the president for the way he viewed the eclipse. Did you see that? No, I did not. <laughs> there, there, there were news sources actually critical of him for looking up at the sun and judging whether that was a smart move or not, because everything he does, but I guess you would say that every president goes through that, everything he does has uh, tremendous scrutiny following him. Speaking of which, since we last spoke, we have not gotten your opinion, your evaluation, uh, your uh, overview of what happened in Charlottesville and the aftermath. Obviously, the Jewish community is one that is extremely concerned about things like this, episodes like this, and certainly reactions from the White House. Tell us what you thought as this was all going on and as the president was being criticized, what seemed to be from right and left for his reaction. Or lack of reaction. Right. I think that the, you know people look to the president, they look to authority figures, 
to be very clear in, in situations like this, especially where there was a loss of life and where the, the concern, obviously, is not just about the one incident, but about the ongoing uh, danger that it poses. And seeing these groups and seeing swastikas, seeing uh, people marching with their hate-filled messages, uh, I think certainly demands uh, people that those in authority speak out and act. You know, the fact that a society has haters is not the determinant. It's how they deal with those haters, how you isolate them, and how you um, address them, both through legal means and but also moral means. And that means also the representatives, the media, the leaders of the church groups, religious groups, the people of every sector, uh, um, you know, entertainment figures, others, are all really required to address this. And also technology. I think what he said, that there are, are haters on the left and the right. We see it on campuses. We see it elsewhere, that it's not uh, isolated to one. But there was once that I was marching with swastikas and... and uh, and therefore, I think people were concerned that, that if you just equate everybody, everything gets thrown into the same pot, uh, was the subject of a, of a lot of the controversy that emerged you know, afterwards. So I hope that it's something that everybody can really come together on and that we, we not just look at the one event, but we look at the ongoing uh, hate that is, is being inculcated in people, in young people especially, and we, and uh, for me, the battleground is the campus and maybe the high schools, and to see to it that our educational system does a better job, that we teach about the, the, the history and the, the cost of hate, the, the irrationality of it, and the that is not, I think, often the case here. A couple of things on this. Um, when when people of a certain background or maybe of a certain age turn to you as a Jewish leader and ask, how could this be happening in the U.S. in 2017, What's the answer? Is there a good answer to that question? Because it can happen anywhere at any time. There's no society that's immune to it, uh, and it is not. And it should not be such a a shock. The problem is that people have not paid attention. You know, we often look with greater clarity, for instance, at what's going on in Europe, and I think that the um, the lessons that we should have learned from Europe. And the lessons that governments of Europe have to learn now, that they, that they can't ignore it, you can't put this under the rug, that you can't make like you can somehow not confront it, either by positive actions, integration, you know, taking a more aggressive uh, stance on, on immigration or other issues, positive or negative. But the, the, certainly the one thing you can't do is to, to ignore it. And that means being proactive. So every society faces these challenges. We say it at the Seder. It doesn't say it in the past tense. It says it in the present tense to remind us that every society and every generation faces the enemies from without and from within. And I think it was Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky or Ramesh who said something on on this and said, you mean there isn't any generation that didn't have it? Behold, in every generation? He said, the answer is that if you look at the next paragraph, Tzayil Ahmad, where you read about Lavan and his efforts to, to destroy Yaakov, that he, Yaakov was living his life, working for first wife, second wife, but his flock was growing, his family was growing, and I'm sure he didn't think that there was anything going on 
But in fact, beneath the surface, there was Laban plotting against them, La Karasakol, to destroy it all. And and that's the message, he says, is that no generation should become complacent and not believe that it will affect them, not believe that it will affect their children and grandchildren, that every generation has to be alert. And we learn the lessons from past generations, that we see the signs and we see the signals. And that's why Jews have special antenna, antenna which come from all the, the generations that had to meet different kinds of uh, suffering and the colors of the uniforms may change and the language that they speak or the particular hate that they espouse from far left, far right, wherever <clears throat> we know and we have it, I hope, in our genes already to be alert and to recognize that how you have to address these issues. There seem, this is no secret, that uh, there are many people in our community, I think I would say nationwide, certainly in the New York, New Jersey area, who who felt that a vote for Donald Trump uh, was a vote for more comfort for the Jewish world, both vis-a-vis Israel and likely in the United States as well. I'm, I'm not here to say that he's at the root of this problem or he's the cause of it, but I find it ironic, maybe as you just described, not so ironic but more accurate, that no matter who's in office and no matter what we expect, you never know what to expect. Right, and and I don't know that you know that whether he really understands why the reaction is what it is, uh, both to, to his personal comments and, of course, to the actions that administration takes. Administrations become targets, and this administration hasn't been always articulate in the way that it expresses itself or uh, often when it expresses itself and then contradicts itself. Every administration has that problem, and you have such scrutiny and intense scrutiny going on that the um, – and, and it can be demoralizing to people because – you know, people feel insecure or they feel, you know, that this is a, a growing threat and it is not being addressed. And it means it's a city level, a state level, a federal level, and even in the international level, there's got to be attention and pay to it in a serious way. No question about that. All right, talking about Charlottesville and its aftermath and its reaction, just a couple of more things. First of all, mm-hmm. anything specific to say about the Jewish reaction? I would guess all the organizations that we would expect, the major ones certainly across the board, from the most unaffiliated in terms of religious affiliation to the most, all reacted like you'd expect. Anything, anything you would have changed about Jewish uh, communal reaction to this entire episode and its, uh, and its aftermath? No, there, I mean, there was a legitimate discussion about whether how Jews should make this event and, and the reaction. Obviously, Jews were targeted because Nazis marching, you know, the Jews will not replace us and swastikas, and et cetera, and the threat against the synagogue, as we, we learned. Um, I think that, you know, the mobilization was fast in terms of our internal operations through SCAN, through the, the Secure Community Network operation, and others who were there on the site quickly and uh, working with the community, but also alerting uh, the communities across the country to be aware and to, because you always have copycatting, you have other things. And in fact, it was more limited, I think, than some people feared uh, so far, but it, it, it's not going away. And you see that they are announcing demonstrations in other places. Uh, so I think the community's response was, was appropriate. And, uh, you know, we I got a letter from President Rivlin, and I got letters from the leaders of the Jewish community in France and other countries, which was interesting because it's usually we who write them expressing <laughs> support for what they face and to get the letters, which I thought was a really wonderful gesture, very meaningful and appreciated. Um, that, but, but it teaches all of us that 
it's a universal problem today, and it's not isolated to one geographic area. And the dynamics of hate, the sources of the hate, whether it's Islamists, whether it's uh, extremist groups, whether uh, others, that, and, and the role of governments in dealing with it, these are, are now today messages and, and challenges that cross all borders and boundaries. Yeah, no question about that. Um, I would assume, and I'm not saying this tongue-in-cheek, I'm, I'm somewhat serious, that the Israeli leaders did not utilize this opportunity to remind people about the future of the Jewish people being in the state of Israel. They, they, they wouldn't have included that in, this, in, in these letters of solidarity. Well, they didn't say that, but the, it's interesting that the chief rabbi of Barcelona, after the attack, did say it, right. and, uh, and other people obviously have, have alluded to it to remind people that uh, you know, no matter where you are and how secure you think you are, there are always going to be these challenges. Obviously, there are challenges in Israel as well, but uh, you know, it is the Jewish state, and it's the place where hopefully Jews are protected and, and um, from some of the forces around us, although you see today in Israel the uh, Islamist movement, uh, they've imprisoned uh, Salah, the leader, that you have uh, uh, these, the, some of the same challenges that we face abroad. Uh, and one last thing on this, if we always, and I think it goes without saying, frankly, but I'm going to say it because I think it's important to say it in this forum, um, if we do go out of our way to cite when Rogers, Roger Waters and others, you know, um, say what they say and that we need to, to react um, with anger um, to, to their point of view when it comes to Israel, um, then we have to acknowledge the acts of solidarity that some uh, performers and you know, high-profile people have undertaken uh, with the Jewish world in the aftermath of all this. I think it's important for people to remember that and, and react appropriately. Absolutely, and those who have the courage to stand up to waters and Pink Floyd and people should be boycotting or expressing their whatever views they have about not participating, not supporting someone like that who has expressed such abhorrent views. Um, and to, to thank those who continued to go to Israel. Uh, I don't remember all the name, Radiohead, which was very important because it came at a critical time, and right. other groups whose names I, I don't even remember. And um, But you're absolutely right. We have to thank those who, who stood up and those who spoke out this time and those who, who acted against the, um, in their own communities against those forces which in those who are closer to the front line than perhaps we are and, and stand up. It takes a lot more courage and, uh, uh, to do so. <clears throat> but uh, it's one of the reasons why we organized to send these high-profile people, whether it's sports stars, uh, entertainment stars, religious leaders, others to Israel, uh, because when they go and they speak about what they saw, just as the critics can impact others, they, they come back and say, apartheid state, this is the first thing you've ever seen from an apartheid state. They talk about it in honest and open terms, and um, and and I think it's, uh, it's um, one of the antidotes, because our strongest weapon is the truth. There is a question whether you take on every charge. You have to evaluate it. You have to make a decision. Do you make every issue a Jewish issue and make it up front, or do we look for others to to take a lead and to shift the uh, and to sh the sense of responsibility shouldn't just fall on us? And the, the that is always a legitimate debate that takes place, and people can come to different conclusions even on it. Uh, no question about that. I want to ask you about the current. Um 
peace talks. We know that uh, Jared Kushner and company have been sent by the White House to, I guess we'd call it, take a tour of the Middle East and to bring things to a certain point in terms of negotiations. Now, it's possible that this always happens in every administration, meaning that there's a that there's always a revolving door of officials heading to the Middle East and doing all of this. You certainly would know better than me. Um, maybe just in this case, because of the uh, connection to our community, or because we're expecting, or I'm expecting something from the the Trump administration different than than other administrations. That I just noticed this more. Is this typical that Jared Kushner and you know those who hold positions like his, envoys to the Middle East, etc., are in fact shuttling back and forth constantly during the administration? Well, I think, I, I don't know what I think is his third trip uh, to the Middle East. Uh, of course, he went with the president when he went to visit. Um, every administration comes in believing that they can make peace in the Middle East, that they have some new approach. And the bottom line is that there are very limited approaches because you're dealing with a party that doesn't want to negotiate. That bottom line, the PA, the Palestinian Authority, won't even acknowledge the objections of the administration, Congress, others, um, Europeans, about the, the funding of the terrorists and, and allocating $350 million out of their budget and willing to take out those cuts in the budget just to continue this abhorrent uh, practice. So how can he be ready to, to make a kind of uh, peace? He also said that uh, he was going to give him an ultimatum of 45 days. He also said uh, many other things in advance, saying that you know he was tired of it, and these guys are all pro-Israel, and they bring him Netanyahu's talking points, and um, uh, he, he uh, said he's going to cut off security cooperation, and did cut off security cooperation, and then he blames Israel for not having the security co- cooperation. And the United States is saying, look, we're not going to impose a solution. I think this statement yesterday by the uh, State Department called people of guard, where she wouldn't even say that they uh, supported two-state solution, saying we, we, we believe it's up to the parties. We're not going to impose anything that restricts uh, the parties themselves. Yeah, I was going to ask you if I should be shocked by that, especially in light of remember the last time we spoke, you had, you had told us about the State Department's evaluation of the Israeli PA situation. You were not happy with it. Uh, very unhappy with it. And... Uh, so I don't know whether this was a deliberate policy decision. Was it um, just a, you know an off-the-cuff response? Um, but uh, I think that the the um, uh, you know the, the problem is not the negotiators. The problem is you have a boss. You have statements by the Arab foreign ministers and others supporting the initiative. Uh, they seem to have been welcomed in the other Arab countries uh, that they visited before coming to Israel and. The prime minister said he had a good meeting with them. The, um, so it doesn't appear that they're trying to impose a solution. They're trying to facilitate and to, to advance some progress of some kind. I believe that it will ultimately come back to the incremental steps of trying to do economic development, do things that change life on the ground, show people that there's value in, in that, and to counter the, the appeal of the terrorists and the extremists. Uh, you also have tremendous problems within the PA. You know, the, his political standing is, is very weak. You have competing uh, parties. And certainly in Israel, you have political pressures that come to bear on a prime minister, especially one that they feel is maybe wounded or under pressure right now. So this effort, uh, it's often an outside party that can help do what the parties themselves can't. But ultimately, the deal, as the delegation said, has to come from the parties themselves. It has to be something they agree on and they live with, because, frankly, if it's not, it won't work.
I hope I'm not reading, well, maybe I should hope that I am reading too much into this, but it sounds like from what you just said a minute ago that maybe there was more of an influence of the White House on the State Department in terms of its attitude or reaction to what's happening in the Middle East than, has been, than we have been used to in the past. Is it possible that this administration is, is, is influencing or strong-arming State Department officials a little bit more than past ones are when it comes to the Middle East? So it's speculation, but the, the first of all, I, I don't know that how how the State Department operates today. They still have vast number of positions open, and Secretary Tillerson operates at one level. I'm not sure what the level of coordination with the White House is, but I think essentially they they gave up the Middle East portfolio to to this delegation to the White House. Um, so. I, I, I don't know if you can interpret too much into the State Department's statements and, and positions. Essentially, they said this is, uh, and, and Mr. Friedman, the ambassador to Israel, you know, reports is close to president, reports with them. Uh, to them, uh, I, I've met many ambassadors who tell me that they don't report to the State Department now because there's nobody to report to all these. It's the secretaries, everything. I mean, there's nobody essentially between them and Secretary Tillerson. So the State Department's role today in its function, uh, I think, is uh, a subject for another discussion, and a lot of analytics uh, will, and then analysts will, will take a look at it and maybe in, in hindsight and discuss what the changing role. They have talked about cutting it by a third. There are a lot of key positions open. Uh, so I, I think the question of the State Department's role is, is a separate one. And by the way, all those changes could last a while into other administrations. When you think about it, if you know, it, well, yeah. yes, because you can't just reverse it. The right. president did 100 executive orders. We don't know still yet what all the impact will be. Right. But to implement, and especially because they are lagging behind, I think, other administrations in terms of filling a lot of these positions, if they, in, if they in fact, intend to fill them at all. Um, so I think that the uh, statement by the State Department, it's hard to know whether that's the deliberate policy statement or simply saying, look, we're not getting involved in the details of this. It's up to America's, I'm sorry, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com on the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Chance to catch up on the weekly update. Um, isn't it interesting how Korea... And the U.S.-Korean situation, which many people were predicting was becoming very volatile, and they were concerned, many were concerned that, you know, look who's in the White House dealing with this. Is he doing a good job reacting to the whole thing? It's essentially out of the headlines at this point. Well, it, it may not be the lead headlines, but the developments continue. We see that they're moving ahead all the time on their various, uh, the, both the missile development. They issued statements about their nuclear capacity, weapons capacity, uh, the linkages to, to Iran, the, uh, the fact that uh, North Korea is involved outside of the region and uh, increasingly playing a role, whether we know that they were in Syria because they built together with with Iran that the, the nuclear reactor that Israel took out, thank God. And um, so the fact that it's not the preeminent story all the time, the problem is that people tend to acclimate to it. Then you, you start accepting things at higher levels. So we, could, we, we would have said it's impossible for us to allow North Korea 
to pose a threat to its neighbors, to our allies, to the United States. We will never let them develop ballistic missiles. Then we don't say we're not going to allow them ballistic missiles that can reach us. Now they say they can reach Chicago and even New York. Then you say you're not going to let them have any miss, uh, uh, nuclear capacity. Then it, it keeps the bar keeps raising, and people tend then to accommodate to it, and only a new story when you escalate it beyond that, not recognizing that we're already in an extreme danger zone. And I think that still remains the case when you talk about North Korea and, you know, the question of what and how you react to it. The um, One of the stories, I don't know if you had posted this in the Daily Alert or not, but uh, there was a Bloomberg story that was, the headline was, Israel wants a seat at the table as powers seek an end to the Syrian war. When one, as Prime Minister of Israel, has a direct face-to-face entree to the President of Russia, uh, who, who likely, I would guess, with the President of the United States, are the two most influential figures in this entire process, can one then claim that they don't have a real opinion or input as to what's happening in Syria vis-à-vis Iran? There's a difference between having uh, access and uh, ha- having a role in the actual discussion and the impact on the outcome. For Israel, the stakes are very high. The the encroachment of Iran and its allies, Hezbollah, Hamas, etc., uh, the in, in, and growing role in uh, in the Syrian conflict, the uh, acceptance of of that, the uh, fact that they are moving closer and closer to the to the Golan area. We know that they, or at least believe that they have built an infrastructure for monitoring developments in the Golan, meaning intelligence gathering, et cetera, and are looking to have a physical presence, that the void being created by the defeat of ISIS is being filled by Iran, and Israel is pressing that others have to fill it, the United States particularly, they're not so thrilled if Russia does it, um, and the uh, the ultimate outcome of the conflict, which leaves Assad in power, controlling what 40, 45 percent of the country, but with very limited uh, real say. But you have Iran with large swaths building another base, perhaps even a, an advanced missile production facility. You have Turkey with a base and and carving out its areas there, the, and and many others, and the influx of Shiite militias and Shiite populations as part of a uh, population exchange, and then seeing it in the larger context of what's happening in Iraq and Iran's role there, and the which many Iraqis, by the way, reject, even Shiites who, who do not want to live under under Iranian Shiite dom- domination. So the uh, for Israel, the, the, this is a, a third front where Iran would then have a front from Lebanon, from Syria, from uh, Gaza, and of course, wants to infiltrate and threaten the stability of of Jordan. They they thrive on the instability of countries, and um, uh, and Iran c- keeps getting away with uh, uh, more and more. Not only this these reports of the of the long range uh, factory in Syria, but uh, they bought a big swaths of land where we know that they are building uh, uh, bases and. And they and they keep threatening that that they can break out in five days. Well, then the, then the deal was a failure. If they can in fact get to twenty percent enriched uranium in five days after a break in accord, and they of course threaten it if the United States imposes the sanctions again and does other actions that they will consider that a breach. Uh, well, if they can do that in five days, then this deal did not produce what it was supposed to to do, 
and five twenty percent enrichment is enough to build uh, a, a weapon. So Iran um, is is uh, expanding its influence directly and directly. They're they're advancing their role in Iraq despite some opposition, but clearly they're they are a dominant force there, and and the uh, Shiite government is is beholden to them. If only there would be the kind of uh, resistance, and we see the the uh, adventurism. The foreign minister, you know, at, of Iran, Zarif, attacking the Saudis, saying uh, that uh, their mudslingings lack of confidence, and uh, that Iran's policy is uh, what do you say, integrity and coordination. I mean, the the, the least integrous country in the world, and and they 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 go on the offense against uh, Saudi Arabia and and trying to raise the stakes there. But the the, the support for Hezbollah is is increasing. Hezbollah captured that ISIS enclave on the Syrian border uh, yesterday, and they're trying to create as many facts on the ground that if there is ever a ceasefire, that they will be in a dominant decision making. Uh, position and and the Golan and access to the Golan access to Israel's border is a primary objective for Iran as we've discussed for years. On yeah, I can imagine. So two things. First of all, the I mean, again with expectations that some of us had with the new administration in Washington, um, we had an expectation that the that this type of monitoring that you just described or lack thereof would be improved or at least encouraged or at least you know the U.S. would use its leverage to make sure the U.N. and others. Uh, you know, would utilize uh, whatever was necessary to monitor Iran. So, uh, number one, either I would assume, based on what you're saying, either the U.S. does not have that influence that I think they might have, or that the, it just, you know, the the uh, the um, the horse is out of the barn, so to speak, and there's no uh, there's no turning back at this point. And, and no matter what the monitoring system would be, Iran can operate so quickly; it's almost irrelevant. I think there are elements of both. I don't think the United States is not monitoring them, and I think they are concerned about Iran's role and what it will mean. It's, I mean, it's a threat to the, all of our allies, right. and the United States is still considering Lebanon, considers it Lebanon an ally, and we're providing you know military equipment to them, et cetera. And they have say that the, you know that that sustaining that military, the national military, even though there's tremendous integration with Hezbollah, or Hezbollah's role is integral. Um, that 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 is an important stabilizing force in the future and could be whatever, but all of these are threatened by by Iran, and the the uh, at sometimes we, we seem to be backing off and leaving it to others to make determinations about the future course. We have a very limited involvement, in fact, in Syria. Uh, the Russians, with with a minimum investment, people would be shocked to know. That they only have a couple dozen planes. That, that the amount that they invested in the meantime, they're picking up the naval base and air force base. They they have expanded their influence. They're the ones who backed uh, Assad, saying that you see, we are we are the loyal uh, people to our friends, and uh, leaving a situation which could be even more destabilizing and more dangerous than it was under Assad. Yeah. Well, with all that in mind, just back to the original question then for a second. Prime Minister Netanyahu walks into these meetings with President Putin. Is he taken seriously or not? Does he have any diplomatic influence or not? Is it a formality, as far as Russia is concerned, just to keep Israel placated or not? Well, it certainly underscores the relevance of Russia as a key player there. And there was a specific agenda. They went there with information, as they did 
with the delegation that came to Washington the week before, uh, led by the Mossad head and others, giving detailed information on the expansion of the Iranian foothold in and military foothold in uh, Syria, expansion of their activities, and the increasing danger that it, it represents. So the, the, that, that was the agenda, to go there and to try to get assurances that the, they, these guys will stand up. It does not appear that they got all that they wanted, and we'll, we'll have to see with time what the, the result will be. Putin, of course, says he's a great friend of Israel, and he's got a million Russian Jews there, and it feels an identity with it. Uh, and Netanyahu has said that he has a very good uh, working relationship. They meet quite frequently. But the bottom line is, what kind of actions will they take? What will, what will be the, when it comes to the test of Iran's role, Iran's ability to dominate? The United States certainly doesn't want it and doesn't want it to happen. And we'll do what it can, I think, to, to within the limited confines that we are currently operating on. Uh, you know, that if, if the North Korea could send two shipments of chemical weapons, as reported to Syria, perhaps financed by Iran, and this, after all the assurances, you know, the chemical weapons is over. There, there are reports that there have been at least 200 attacks with chemical weapons over recent years by Syria against its own population. I mean, what this was a, a, a violation of violations. It was supposed to be the critical issue. Uh, you know, so if none of these red lines hold, then nothing then the the bad guys interpret this as the weakness of the west the weakness of, of opposition to them and will just be more bold in in their actions you think uh, Bibi's going to survive when it comes to uh, the israeli political scene we had yakov katz on last week he gave us his perspective and terms of the whole issue on the three uh, scandals quote unquote that he and his wife are involved in meaning Bibi and his wife uh, anything different from your perspective over the last couple of weeks no, it's been quiet the last uh, days, um, part, I guess, because it's August and a lot of people are away. Mm, good point. But the, uh, the cases continue to be developed. I know people have been called and interviewed. I have not seen yet any specific charge. There is nothing leveled against the prime minister, so people shouldn't jump to conclusions, wait and see. We know that often the police will make charges and then say that, well, they didn't have enough evidence and they didn't convict. Um, so... Right now, I think Netanyahu will stay in office. Uh, he has said that even if he's indicted, he will stay. Others have said he would have to leave. Obviously, he's wounded, and this is a, a distraction when you have these critical issues. But by his trips and other things, it shows that he's still working and address, trying to address those issues. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm, the, it's now post-Rosh Chodesh Elul. And it's this time of year when we begin to remind people about uh, the large gatherings that we're going to have in synagogues and Jewish institutions around the country. Is there any specific um, uh, address, phone number, uh, web address, anything you want to give out uh, for people concerned about security and those who are looking for the advice that you always uh, you know, speak about on the air in terms of setting up their own institution uh, securely for the high holidays? Anything they should know about at this point? Both because of the high holidays and because schools are opening. And we must pay more attention to the security issues. And they should go to SCNUS, that's SCAN, Secure Community Network US, but the, the web address is scnus.org. They can get a lot of information. They can be in touch with SCAN for advice if they have particular circumstances. Um, 
how you train people for lone shooter events, for all sorts of things that an ounce of prevention can save a lot of lives in a moment of, of uh, terror. And you don't have time then to start thinking and to, to develop a plan. You have to do it in advance, and kids should be trained what to do. And you remember in Connecticut how many lives were saved because the teachers were trained to put the kids in closets, uh, get them under desks, whatever, uh, in, in, God forbid, a bad situation. And as unlikely as it is, it is not impossible. And the cameras at institutions, all sorts of things that can be done at relatively small cost is, um, is very important. And by the way, uh, I wanted to point out one other thing about you saw when we were talking about Iran, Mm. To remind people about Iran's role in the attacks in Argentina, and you remember the the murder of Nisman, which we discussed many times, and they sure. said it was a suicide, etc. Well, the new prosecutor, who replaced Mr. Nisman, uh, who was Jewish and who was uh, who brought indictments against seven Iranians and one Lebanese, they now um, tested the body for, for, or they did toxicology tests, and they found uh, a chemical. Ketamine, ketamine, which they said could not have been self-administered. It's not something he would have taken because they said that he committed suicide. This is pretty much proof now that it wasn't, and the fingers all point to Iran. And, you know, you see that the extensive nature of the um, of that and, and that Iran, you know, has put off any action. They've not responded to the appeals for extradition of those who have been who've been named, the seven who were named. Meantime, Israel is sending six tons of food and stuff to South Sudan and to, to villages there and to, to save lives, in addition to the many other things they do every day to save lives. Including this, the, the effort up north for those who are injured in Syria. More than 3,000 Syrians treated in Israeli hospitals at no cost and often at great expense requiring prosthetic devices, children, hundreds of children who've been treated, and young Israelis every day risking their lives to go across the border. You never see credit, a word of credit, acknowledgement, anything about um, uh, what they have done. And I think that the, the, um, you know, the, this disparity and the fact that Israel constantly comes under the, the attack and the scrutiny and the, the uh, horrific uh, allegations, which are baseless and, and condemnatory of, of Israel, when in fact it is every day demonstrating the, its humanitarian commitments and, and all of those who criticize it have none. It is remarkable, isn't it? Uh, by the way, as you know, I uh, had the privilege of uh, of being on another Aliyah flight, not permanently again, but uh, with Nefesh Benefesh, and did the show uh, from the from the plane, which was amazing in and of itself. But I, you know, e- each flight has its own personality. In this case, uh, I was hit emotionally by the fact that the that a, a a large number of my own children's colleagues and classmates were making Aliyah on their own. And I was wondering if, if you go through the same thing when you see your own children and grandchildren's colleagues and classmates making Aliyah, uh, it, it sometimes gives it a, an extra emotional feeling. Of course. And, and when you see that, I think there were 85 Chayelim uh, Bodedim, lone soldiers that went to Israel, and American kids who are going to serve in the IDF, I mean, it is the ultimate expression of commitment and uh, I think it's it's uh, really amazing. 
and we should salute these kids and, and show what real values are, what real commitment is. And the um, you know the trips you know by the way on your third trip you have to stay you can't keep coming back <laughs> they won't let you back again. Uh, well, I'm really in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant the third nefesh benefesh trip. I know. I'm saying I'm really in trouble. This was our sixth. Uh, sixth. Yeah. So you owe them three, and uh, <laughs> and um, and we look at what happened here, and that people say, oh, Israel's not safe. Israel's not secure. Maybe it's a wake up call. It certainly is. Thank you so much. We'll uh, have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday, 740 Eastern Time, for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shoftim, with candle lighting in the New York area, 790 on this Erev Shabbos at 7.19 on this Erev Shabbos. I want to again wish a mazel tov, uh, Alisa and Chaim Weichner and Esther and Dove Zeidman. They are uh, getting ready for the big celebration this coming Sunday when Danielle and Mayer are to be married. We are looking forward to the big celebration. I know Aaron Teitelbaum and everybody is, uh, is uh, getting ready for the big celebration uh, in New York. Uh, Danielle and Mayer, mazel tov to you. We look forward to seeing you and celebrating with you Sunday um, at the big occasion. J.M. and the A.M. on this Friday, and uh, a couple of reminders. First of all, the live music alert with Milah Cohen has been alerted, has been released <laughs> this coming Tuesday. He's expected live in our studio. We will Facebook Live. I thank Yoni Pollock for that. Uh, so you'll be able to see what's happening in addition to hearing everything that's happening in our studio at J.M. and the A.M. That's this coming Tuesday morning, 7.45 Eastern Time. And um, obviously, uh, as you would suspect, great programming all through the day. Naomi Nachman is on at 9 a.m. right after JMNAM with Table for Two. At 10 o'clock, Mark Zomik with a three-hour presentation sponsored by our friends at Kedem. It's the Arab Shabbos show. That precedes the Arab Shabbos music mix presented by our friends at Kedem all the way until candle lighting time. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami. Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis as he approaches his fifth anniversary presenting live programming every single Sunday morning. We have to thank him profusely for that. And, of course, uh, Monday morning, we are back to start the week with JM in the AM. I want to thank Yoni Pollock. He's actually uh, in this morning in the JM and the AM headquarters in New York City, taking care of the uh, early part and the late part and, frankly, this part of our radio broadcast. And I thank Yoni. He'll be with you until 9 o'clock this morning. I wish everybody a wonderful Shabbos. This time each and every Friday morning, every Arab Shabbos. Oh, and by the way, before I introduce Rabbi Yudin, a very special shout-out to Rebetzin and Rabbi Oppenheim and the entire Charlotte community, uh, the Charlotte Torah Center and its environs. Um, we are giving them a special shout-out on this Arab Shabbos Parsha Shoftim from all of us at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Shoftim. According to the Chinuch, Parsha Shoftim contains 41 mitzvot. There are 14 positive and 27 restrictions in this parsha. I'd like to focus this morning on the institution of kingship 
as found in this week's parsha. Interestingly, five of the mitzvos of the parsha are related to the king. Number one, the mitzvah to appoint a king. Secondly, that oh, excuse me, there are six that the king should not be from neither nor outside of the Jewish people, nor even a convert. Third, he's not to have too many horses, except what he needs for the army. Fourth, that he is not to have too many wives, as the Torah says, that they should not turn his heart away from Hashem. Five, he's not to have and accumulate too much money gold and silver. What he needs for his uh, maintaining of the government, that's understandably permissible, but not for his own personal wealth and aggrandizement. And finally, every Jew has a mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah. The king has a responsibility to write not only one, but a second Sefer Torah. And that Sefer Torah, literally, for Hoya Imo, is to be with him all the time. And the purpose of this is that he should literally, as the Torah says, Laman Yilmad Liyura Es Hashem that he is to fear God. The Shmor is called Divreha Torah Zos, that he is literally to observe all the laws of this Torah and the chukim, the statues, la'asosam, to do this. And the Torah goes on, the vilti rum levavo me'achav, so that literally he does, his heart does not become haughty over his brethren, an exceedingly tall order that the Torah places upon the king of Israel. Now, in general, we should understand that kingship is to remind us that as there is a king here, so too there is the Melech Malchi Hamlachim HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Gemara, the Lashon is found in the Gemara on Nun Ches Omid Aleph is that Malchusa Da'ara, the literally the royalty as found here on earth, is Ke'en Malchusa Da'ara, is a reflection of the royalty of on high. And so it's appropriate to talk about this mitzvah now for the following reason. We don't yet have kingship in Israel. However, tonight, tomorrow, we have to wash Shabbos, and in the third blessing of Birkas HaMazon, Amalchus Beistovin Mishichecha, we pray for the restoration of kingship in Israel, because kingship is a very important part of our peoplehood. If I had to get to it immediately, the very nature of kingship for us has to be, as we find in the second Perek of Pirkei Avos, Rabbi Gamliel, the author of the second Mishnah, 
he is the author of the third and the fourth Mishnah as well. So in the fourth Mishnah, in the second parak, what does he say? Make literally his will, your will. God's will should become yours. So that he will make your will as if it were his. And the second part is clearly what we're looking for in terms of a definition of royalty, kingship. Literally, nullify, subjugate your personal will before his will. You want to do it, you don't want to do it, you do it because this is what he wants. Literally, to negate your desire for that of his. And not only because, as the Mishnah continues, the second part of that Mishnah, so that he will nullify the will of others before your will. No, because this is what it means to accept upon oneself a king. And this is the essence of uh, kingship, which is that accepting his royalty. And that is obviously important all year long, but the Baal Shem Tov was the one who popularized it. We know that one of the acronyms for the month of Elul is as found in Shira Shirim, chapter 6, verse 3, Anila Dodi, Vidodi Li. Literally, the first letter of these four words spells Elul, I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me. However, the verse continues, Horo'er Bashoshanim, literally the one who is the shepherd among the flowers, the shepherd in the field. And so, Anilododi Vidodi Li, in the month of Elul, Horo'er Bashoshanim, says the Baal Shem Tov, it's Melech Basodeh. Unlike the rest of the year, where the king is more removed in his palace, during the month of Elul, he is more accessible, he's out in the fields. And so at a time when he, the king of Israel, Hashem, is more accessible to us, it is really worthwhile for us to look a little bit into this mitzvah and aspect of kingship. Kingship is understood clearly on two levels. There is the broader understanding of kingship, whereby the Shlomo HaMelech writes in his book of Proverbs, in chapter 21, verse 1, Leiv Melech Biyad Hashem, that the heart of the king is in the hands of God, namely that as the Rambam writes in his first of the 13 principles of faith, Ani Mamin Be'emunah Shlema, I believe with complete and perfect faith. Shaboreiz Barach Shemo, that the Creator, blessed is His name, Hu Borei Umanhig, He creates 
and Manhig guides all creatures. He guides all creatures and he also guides the kings, the kings, the presidents. And so therefore, many of their ideas and, and initiatives, one shouldn't think, well, it's all his own. No, he is a significant pawn in literally the game that God is progressing in and in bringing about the destiny of mankind. So that's one level of Malchus. And for this level of Malchus, we should understand the Gemara says in Brachos Nun Ches that there's a Bracha that one recites when one sees a king. The difference between a Jewish king or a king of the uh, rest of the nations of the world. If he sees Malche Yisrael, a Jewish king, the blessing is Baruch Shecholak Mikvodoli Reyav. Literally, blessed is the one who cholak apportioned of his glory to those who fear him. Chelek, part of literally God's glory itself is going to one of those that fear him, his king. If you see a non-Jewish king, it's a slightly different text, and that is Shenosan, instead of Shecholak, but rather he gave. There's a separation. There is not that closer connection between God and that individual. Now, that's on a more global level. And then there is between each and every individual, as we mentioned, number one, that we are to view kingship as a kind of reflection of subjugating our will to that of the will of Hashem. And we are to recognize that the king played a very significant role within society. Watch. In this week's parasha of Shoftim, you have twice that you need two witnesses, be it in a case of capital uh, offense or in even a monetary case. You need two witnesses. True, in a monetary case, one witness can cause the individual to take an oath. But in terms of exacting payment, I need two witnesses. So, in a situation whereby I only have one witness, ay ay ay, I cannot act. I'd like you to bring to the table tonight and go to Parshas Mishpati in chapter, in the second book of the Torah, chapter 23, verse 7. And there, the second half of the verse, very challenging, V'nokivet Sadik al-Tarog, literally, a person who is Noki, who is innocent, and Sadik, righteous, al-Tarog, don't kill him. Why? Kiloat stick Russia. For I shall not exonerate the wicked. What is going on here? So if you look carefully in the Rashi, Rashi says that it refers to the following situation. I have a court whereby 
they found the person to be guilty, a court of 23 judges. They're taking him out to be killed. Someone says, I have new information to show that he's innocent. We bring him back ex endless number of times. The opposite, however, if he's found to be innocent and in court adjourned, and then someone says, I have information to show that he's guilty, we don't bring him back. Oy, 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 how could that be? So Rashi says, God says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And similarly, the Drush Haran teaches that if we only had one witness, but the king was convinced as to the authenticity of that one witness, Asheholak, like the Bracha says, God gave over to the king literally a chilek from him of his glory, that the king has this capacity to even execute based upon one witness. A very, very powerful idea, but one that we be, need to be reminded that we are in the month of Elul. And at this time of Melech Basada, the king is available to us. We are to remind ourselves that just as in the past, when they coronated the king, they blew the shofar, and they said, Yechi HaMelech, so too on Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar. And one of the reasons that we're blowing the shofar is because we too are proclaiming Yechi HaMelech. We have him close by during the month of Elul. We blow the shofar every morning to remind us that this ultimate coronation is coming. Let us use these days of preparation to remind ourselves that what it means to be a true subject of the true king is to negate our desire and to understand how privileged we are to accept his desire thereby elevating our position as subjects of the true king, which will please God help bring about the kingship down here as well. Shabbat Shalom to all.
history I've been through. Ask me where I'm from, and I will tell you I'm a Jew, and every Jew's a proud Jew. Not just me, my sisters and my brothers. Never be ashamed to be a proud Jew. It's not what you've done, it's how he made you. So sing this song and spread the pride around you. Yehudiani, eternally. Hey Abraham, it's God Gitano bisimcho, igagalu mitzvo, gedoyla meri shoyno. Ho oise mitzvo, achas gitano bisimcho, igagalu loy, nasuiz mitzvo, gedoyla meri shoyno. Ho oise mitzvo, achas gitano bisimcho, igagalu mitzvo, gedoyla meri shoyno. Ich bin noch ein Mitzvah, 
spend time with your family You'll study and you'll pray Why not wait till after Shabbos All oh, those nails won't run away So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very, 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 very special This is America's one and only Jewish Moments, the morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on our beloved NSN app. Coming up in a few moments is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman at 10 o'clock, the Erev Shabbos show, sponsored by Kedem. That goes until 1 p.m. Afterwards, you'll hear the Kedem Erev Shabbos music mix, taking you all the way up to Candlelighting, Candlelighting 719 in the New York area. Weather should be beautiful for this coming Shabbos, so go ahead and enjoy it. My name is Yoni Pollock. Thank you for tuning in to JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network. Have a fantastic Shabbos.